This morning, I want to share with you what's been on my heart. Genesis chapter number 12, and listen to this familiar story that I've heard that's recorded in Scripture. And I know that you've already read it if you're reading through the Bible. Genesis chapter 12, beginning with verse number 10, out of the New King James. Now there was a famine in the land, and Abram went down to Egypt and dwelled there. For the famine was severe in the land. And it came to pass that when he was close to entering Egypt, that he said to Sarah, his wife, Indeed, know that you are a woman of beautiful countenance. Therefore, it will be that when the Egyptians see you, that they will say, This is his wife, and they will kill me, but let you live. Please say that you are my sister, that it may be well with me, and for my sake, that I may live because of you. And so it was that when Abram came into Egypt, and the Egyptians saw the woman, and that she was very beautiful. The princes of Pharaoh also saw her and commanded her to Pharaoh. And the woman was taken to Pharaoh's house. He treated Abram well for her sake. He had sheep and oxen and male donkeys and camels and female servants. And the Lord plagued Pharaoh and his house in great plagues because of Sarah, Abram's wife. And Abram... And, 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 And Pharaoh called Abram and said, What is this that you have done to me? Why did you not tell me that she was your wife? Why did you say she is your sister? I might have taken her as my wife. Now therefore, here is your wife. Take her and go your way. So Pharaoh commanded his men concerning him, and they sent him away with his wife and all that he had. Just for a few moments, I want to preach on the thought, learning from my mistakes. Learning from my mistakes. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word that's went forth. Thank you for your spirit that we already feel in this building. Thank you for the receptivity of people. Thank you that their hearts are receptive to you. Their spirit is receptive to you. And I pray that as the word of God goes forth, that it would go forth to good soil, that we would hear it, that we would obey it, that we would apply it to our life. And we thank you that where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. And everybody shout, Amen. Learning from my mistakes. How many could raise your hand and say, I've made a lot of mistakes in my life? All right, the rest of you are lying. I said, how many would raise your hand and say, I've made a lot of mistakes in my life? How many would even say, I wish I could turn back the clock and do things over? I think that all of us wrestle with the mistakes that we've made in our life. We also wrestle with regret. I wish I could turn back the clock, and I wish I could change the things that I've done. But my friends, one of the things about our spiritual journey is this. None of us, no matter how regretful we may feel, none of us can ever go back and change the clock. None of us could ever go back and revert to our old life and try to change the things that we wish we would have never done. You see, I I think the greater challenge today is not to try to feel regretful, even though that may happen. And some of us may feel condemned and disheartened or disenchanted because of the things that we've done or the things we've said or the things, the places we went and the decisions that we made. The challenge is not for us to try to go back and try to fix those things. The challenge is for us is where do we go from here? 
what are the decisions that we need to go from here? Because I've learned in my own spiritual life and reading the Scripture that the greatest challenge in life is not necessarily the pace in which you are going. It's the direction in which you are going. It's the direction in which you are going. Not the pace, but the direction. And so the challenge today is, is what do I have to do today so that I can move forward? I can't go back. I can't change the past. I can't, maybe you can't even mend the past. Maybe you can't even fix it. But what can I do to move forward in God, move forward in my relationship with Him, and move forward in my life? One of the greatest, greatest discouraging feelings to have is that I'm stuck and I'm not moving. How many would raise your hand and say, Pastor, I have felt that way before, or I may even feel that way this morning. I'm stuck and I'm not moving. That is a disheartening feeling to feel, that you are stuck and you're not moving. As a matter of fact, you go to church, you tithe, you read the scriptures, you try to be a nice person, you try to provide for your family, but yet you still feel like you're stuck in a rut. And that's a horrible place to be, and it's a horrible feeling to be, feeling like you're stuck in a rut. Well, I want you to know something, that when you read the scriptures, you're not the only one that felt like they were stuck in a rut. I mean, the great prophets of old felt like they were stuck in a rut. David, who was the king of Israel, felt like he was stuck and his enemies was after him. That's why he wrote the book of Psalms, primarily because of his trouble. His enemies was constantly after him. You're not the only one that feels this way this morning. Millions of people feel this way. But the challenge is, is what do I have to do to move forward? You've got to ask the right question. You've got to ask the right question. What do I got to do to move forward? And I have learned that there are at least four things that will cause us to make mistakes. And I want you to listen to me very carefully, and I believe that this is important. There are four things that will cause us to make wrong decisions and wrong mistakes. And I want to give them to you kind of like in an acronym form. And it's the acronym called HALT, H-A-L-T. I want you to say that with me as loud as you can say it on the count of three. One, two, three, HALT. The H stands for hungry. You see, sometimes we make mistakes when we are hungry. And not only hungry, but hungry physically and hungry spiritually. Do you remember Jesus in Matthew chapter 4? Jesus fasted for 40 days and 40 nights. And what happened after he fasted? The Bible says in Matthew 4, he was hungry and then the devil came. You see, when you are physically worn out, when you are physically hungry, when you are exhausted, you will possibly make a mistake. When you are exhausted physically, you might make a mistake. And that is why it's important that we take care of our physical bodies. And that is why we get plenty of rest and we have self-care to take care of ourselves because it's possible we can make the wrong decision when we are hungry, not only physically, but also spiritually. When you are seeking in your spiritual life things that you should not seek after, you could get in trouble, all right? It's, da- it's a danger to be empty, because when you are empty, you will begin to fill yourself with things that are inappropriate and dangerous to your spiritual life if you are not intentionally going forward in the direction of the kingdom of God. H is hungry. A is angry. People get angry, and when you get angry, you make the wrong decision. You say things that you regret that you say. Well, when you're angry, you say things you wish you could take back. So you've got to be careful that when you are angry, you stop. 
Now, I want you to listen to Pastor Josh. Listen to me very carefully. Because in the Old Testament, there is a principle to deal with your anger, and that is Selah. You see, when you read the Scriptures, especially in the book of Psalms, when David is writing the book of Psalms, he would end a psalm with the word Selah. And the word Selah means to pause. And you see, sometimes in our life, we need to take a pause. We need to have a Selah moment in our life. When we feel angry, when we feel frustrated, when we feel like we want to give up, you need to take a Selah. You need to pause. Because if you don't pause, you will say things you don't want to say, act in a way that you will have to go back and ask uh, an apology for. So have a Selah. That may, you may need to get in the car. You may need to drive somewhere. You may need to walk outside. But you need to have a Selah moment where you don't let your anger get out of control. Is being angry sinful? No, you can be angry. It's, 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 it's righteous indignation that's not sinful. It's, it, it's, it's when you take your anger out on people for unrighteous means, that is sinful. All right, so lonely. You see, when we are lonely, we're going to make mistakes. When we're lonely, when we feel lonely, listen, you can be around a lot of people and still feel lonely. Loneliness has nothing to do with you being married. Loneliness has nothing to do with you going to church. And loneliness has nothing with you... No, nothing to do with you going to a small group. You can be surrounded with lots of people and still be lonely because loneliness has nothing to do with a crowd. Loneliness is a feeling. It's a state of heart. It's a state of mind. And so when you feel lonely, you can make decisions that you could regret later. And the lastly is when you're tired, when you're physically tired and when you're spiritually tired, you will make decisions that possibly are unbeneficial to your spiritual life and your physical life. So you need to halt. You need to stop. You need to take a sailor. You need to rest. Hunger, hungry, anger, uh, lonely, tired. You need to take a few moments and you need to realize that if I go any further, I will get myself in a situation that I don't want to be in. Now, I want to set all of that to say this, is that sometimes when we are progressing with God and we make mistakes, Sometimes the enemy wants to bog us down with regret. He wants to bog us down with condemnation. But you've got to understand something, that the spot that you are in is only temporary, and the enemy wants you to believe that it's a permanent thing, that the decision that you made is going to cause a permanent effect on your life. There are some decisions that we make that will cause a permanent effect. That is true. But you see, the principle is this, that you can be in a prison and not be in a prison. The Apostle Paul was in a prison and wrote the book of Philippians, but he wasn't in prison because he wrote about joy. You see what I'm saying? It all has to do with what's on the inside of you. It, you see, the greater challenge is, is what is God doing inside of you? Do, do you want God to deliver you or do you want God to develop you? Do you want God to develop you or to deliver you? And some of us will go around the same mountain. We will deal with the same problems all of our life because we are not asking the right question. You see, we ask the wrong questions. Why am I going through this? Why am I facing this? Why me? 
You see, you could be pitiful or you could be powerful, but you can't be both. And you've got to ask the right question. If I am wandering around the same mountain all these years, I've got to ask the right question so I get the right solution so that I could be developed in this situation. Sometimes God is not going to deliver us. Sometimes God will develop us in the situation. He didn't just deliver the Hebrew boys out of the fiery furnace like this. He was in the fiery furnace with them, and they didn't even know he was in the fire with them. It was the king that looked in and said, I thought I threw three men in, but I now see that there is a fourth man in the fiery furnace. Sometimes in our life, we don't even know that God is with us in the trouble. We don't even know that God is with us in the obstacle. Somebody has to remind us, dude, God is with you or you would have given up a long time ago. Sometimes when we're in the mess, we don't even know God is working. Because while you wait, God's working. You see, God a halt. You see, I'm not telling you anything I haven't lived. There's times I've experienced this. But you, you, you've got to press through. You see, I was, when I was reading this scripture this week, and listen, this scripture is powerful. And I, I remember reading it a couple weeks ago, thinking, man, my goodness, there's so much information in this passage of scripture. First of all, I mean, it's kind of an odd passage. Here is Abram married to Sarah, and they're leaving Egypt. And, or excuse me, they're leaving, and they're going to Egypt. They're going, uh, th there's a famine in the land, and they're leaving. And as they're leaving, he says to his wife, now listen, we're going to Egypt, and when we get to Egypt, the Egyptians are going to think you're really beautiful. So baby, do me a favor, that when we get to Egypt, can you please tell them, that you're my sister and not my wife because I'm afraid that if I tell them that you're my wife, they will kill me and take you as a prisoner and take you to be the wife of Pharaoh. He says, so let's just solve that. I want to live. So when we go to Egypt, can you just tell them that I'm your brother? And so when they get to Egypt, Pharaoh and the princes of Pharaoh looked at Sarah and they said, man, you're beautiful. You're a beautiful woman. And he lied and said, well, this is my sister. And Pharaoh took her into his palace and then gave Abra, Abram camels and servants and donkeys, loaded him with gifts. And then all of a sudden, the Bible says, in Pharaoh's house, a plague came upon him. And Pharaoh realized that Abram was lying, that it wasn't his sister, it was his wife. And Pharaoh said to Abram, why did you lie to me, dude? Why didn't you just tell me that she was your wife instead of your sister? And because you lied and I believed you, God has sent a plague on my household. And Pharaoh said, take your wife and take everything I've given you and just leave. Now that story is kind of perplexing. Here is a man of God who is found lying. A man of God who is found in a situation where he did not have integrity. A man of God who had some cracks in his character. A man of God who should have done the right thing, but he did not do the right thing. And my friends, just because you are a man and woman of God doesn't mean you're not going to make mistakes. It doesn't mean that you're going to make 
uh, every decision right. He made a mistake here. And how do I know he made a mistake? Well, because he's hungry. There's a famine in the land, and he's leaving and going to Egypt to eat. And he made the wrong decision. See, you've got to be careful when you're hungry. You've got to be careful when you're angry. You've got to be careful when you're lonely. You've got to be careful when you're tired. And here Abram is hungry, and he's in the middle of a famine, and he's leaving and going to Egypt, and he makes a wrong decision. He makes a mistake. And there are several things in this passage that I believe is applicable to you. You see, there are several things I believe that you could take from this story and use it for your life. If you're taking notes, I want you to take it. If you're not taking notes, I want you to listen very carefully of the things in this, this odd story, this weird story, that you could take and use it for your life. Number one, the very first thing I want you to see in this story is that if you're going to learn from your mistakes, number one, you're going to have to recognize the cycles of intimacy and absence. You're going to have to recognize the cycles of intimacy and absence. Now, what do I mean by that? The Bible says in Genesis chapter 12 and verse number 10, I want you to pay attention to the wording here, and verse number 10, Now there was a famine in the land, and Abram went down to Egypt to dwell there, for the famine was severe. You see that in verse 10? For the famine was severe. So Abram is going with his wife to Egypt because there is a famine. So in other words, this is a spiritual principle in our life. We have spiritual famines in our life, and then we have spiritual times of intimacy with God. There are times in our life that we feel close to God, and there are times in our life that we feel as though God is a million miles away. But the principle that I want you to see here is that God allows the famine to happen in your life because His ultimate purpose is to draw you closer to Him. You see, that's His ultimate purpose. He, this is how God works. God removes Himself to a degree. He removes Himself to a degree so that you will walk forward to Him. And when you walk forward to Him, He steps back. Sean, come here quickly. This is how God works in our spiritual life. And I'll let you be God today. You need to put some meat on your bones, God. Okay, so I'm going to be the Christian that's serving God, that's seeking God. And you see, when you are in a relationship with God, both parties come together. Because a relationship is not one-sided. A relationship is, is that right? 100%? It's not 50-50. It's I give 100% and... Okay, so when I'm in a relationship with God, in my prayer, in my fasting, I'm, I'm getting closer to God, and, you, and, we, and, and there's this closeness that we feel. But this is what happens. In a spiritual famine, God steps away. And you know why God steps away? Because He wants you to continue to pursue after Him. Step away. Because it's a journey, isn't it? And what happens is the distance between me and God, I feel like He's left me. But God is saying, I've never left you. 
I'm stepping back because I want you to keep walking forward. I want you to keep drawing close to me. And that is why the writers of the Old Testament says, draw near to God. And what happens is that when we don't draw near to God, when we're not pursuing after Him, if you're not intentionally going forward, you're unintentionally going back. The problem is God don't move at times. We're the one that's moving. I'm, that's what you call backsliding. I'm unintentionally going back. Unintentionally going back. And God is saying, listen, if there's a distance between me and you, if I'm taking a step back, it's all because I am wooing you and I want you to draw near to me. I want you to do it because you love me. You do it because you read the Word. You do it because you're praying. You're seeking after me. And sometimes God seems like a million miles away. But you see, that's the purpose of it. It's kind of like Martin Luther at the Great Reformation. He would spend eight hours in the confessional booth confessing his sin and wondering where God's at. God, you've left me. God, where are you at? I'm serving you. I'm serving the church. But it's in the place of the dark place of the soul that he had one of the greatest reformations and the greatest revelations that he could ever have that we are justified by faith alone and not by our works. Sometimes God wants to do the greatest things in our life when we feel like we're in a famine. You've got to understand the seasons of intimacy and abstinence. Because if you don't understand it, you're going to think God's a million miles away. God is God is, Job even said in the book of Job, God, where have you been? You see, we all wrestle with it, but sometimes we're not aware that there are seasons and cycles of intimacy and absence. Intimacy and absence. And you know why God does that? Because God wants to know, are you seeking me because I have given you good things because I've given you a good home and I've given you a good car and I've given you a good family. Are you seeking me because of that? So I'm going to step away to see what you're really seeking me for. Are you seeking my hand? Are you seeking my face? Thank you, Pastor Sean. Thank you for being God today. You've got to understand the cycles of intimacy and absence, he removes himself to a degree so that you can get closer to him. And this is what you see with Abram. Abram leaves because he's in a famine. And that famine was directed by God to get Abram where God needs to get Abram. And sometimes a spiritual famine will happen in our life to get us to go to the place that we need to be. There's a famine in the land, Abram. I put it there. It's severe because I want you to move from that place to another place. And the reason that we're in a spiritual famine is so that we can get to the place that God wants us to get to. Number two, you need to recognize the cycles of insecurities. Now get this. I, when I read this, I, I, <laughs> you know, the Word of God is so powerful, and I, I just want to shout with this. So I want you, everybody buckle your seatbelts because I want to tell you something, all right? And, and I never saw this before, but I think this is worth saying. I think it's very worth saying, and it's noteworthy to say this. Because I believe that Abram was wrestling with insecurity. 
Now, I believe that all of us have insecurities. That one way or another, we're all, fall, we're all flawed, we're all broken, we all have insecurities. But I want you to see Abram's insecurities here. Because Abram says in chapter 12, I want you to get this. Chapter 12, he says to uh, Sarah, Sarah, I want you to be my sister. I want you to lie to the Egyptians and tell them that you're my sister instead of my wife. Now get this. That was his insecurity talking. How do I know? Because did not God say about four chapters before this, Abram, you're going to be a father of many nations? Abram, look up. And you see the stars above your head? That's how many... That's how many descendants you're going to have. Look at the sand on the seashore. That's how many people is going to come from your lineage. God gave Abraham a promise that he was going to be the father of a great nation. And now in chapter 12, after he's received the promise, after he knows about the promise, in chapter 12, he says to his wife, I want you to be my sister instead of my wife because I'm afraid they're going to kill me when they see how beautiful you are. His insecurity is speaking. See, Abraham did not realize that he did not have to lie. He didn't have to lie because God said to Abram, you are the father of many nations. There is greatness on the inside of you. And there is no reason you've got to lie to anybody because I put my approval on top of you. And how many of us let our insecurities speak because we don't see who we are? Abraham did not realize who he truly was. He was the father of a great nation, but yet he's letting his insecurities speak. He's lying. His insecurities is responding. He didn't realize what was on the inside of him. He was a great man. He was going to be a great man. He was going to be the father of a great nation. He didn't realize who he was. And I am convinced that some of us do not realize who we are in the spirit world. We don't realize what God has said about us. We look like we've lost the battle. It's defeated. But you've you got to accept it by faith. You are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. You are above and not beneath. You are the head and not the tail. You are sanctified and justified, called to be a child of God and the Son of God. Why do you need to put your head down and walk in your insecurities when God has already spoken to you about who you are in Him? Abram did not realize who he was. He was the father of a great nation, but his insecurities is speaking. He didn't realize that he was the father of a great nation. And isn't it interesting? Now, get this. Let's just have a Bible study. I think, because you should know this, you've been reading the Bible, right? In Genesis chapter 20, I do believe it happens again. Genesis chapter 20, and I want you to look at verse number 2. Abram is talking to Abimelech, and all of a sudden, Abram says to his wife, she is my... And Abimelech the king took Sarah. Now hold on here. I, I think we need to just stop for a moment. We need to halt. 
okay? And we need to look at this. Chapter 12, he lies to Pharaoh and says, my wife is my sister. Why? Because he's fearful that Pharaoh thinks that she's so beautiful he's going to take, take her as his wife. And here in chapter 20, he does it again. He lies again. Now, get this. Look at the verbiage. Genesis chapter 12. Go back to what? Now, pay attention to the verbiage. Genesis 12, verse 10. Genesis 12, verse 10. Now, there was a famine in the land, and Abram, everybody say Abram. Everybody say Abram. Everybody say Abram, chapter 12. Now look at Genesis chapter 11, or Genesis chapter 20, excuse me. Genesis chapter 20 and verse number 2. Genesis 20, verse 2. Now Abraham said to Sarah, get this, he was Abram, and now he's Abraham. He's Abram, he's Abraham. When he was Abram, he made the mistake and lied and said, my wife is my sister. He's Abraham, makes the same mistake, and says, my wife is my sister. He sh he's grown, hasn't he? He went from Abram to Abraham, but yet he still made the same mistake. How is it possible that I could grow in God, I could progress in God, and never change my insecurities how is it possible that we can progress in God and still battle over the same issues that we battled when we were Abram? Is there anybody in the building that can wave your hand and say, Preacher, I know it's quiet in here, but I'm listening. How many will wave your hand and see the principle of Abram and Abraham progressing, but yet he doesn't fix the issue of his life. And you know what the issue is? Number three, I'm going to give you some issues. He, you've got to recognize, you've got to recognize that you can't believe everything you assume. Because he assumed that Pharaoh was going to kill him if he found out that he was married to Sarah. He assumed it. And isn't it amazing? Because nowhere is Abram dead. Pharaoh never killed him. Even when he found out the truth, he never killed him. You see, how many of us get ourselves in trouble because we assume everything? How many of us get in trouble because we think things that's not true? Just because you think it doesn't mean it's right. Just because you assume it doesn't mean it's right. Communication is not what's being said, it's what's being understood. And here, in this passage, Abram to Abraham, but yet the same issue. The same. Why? Because it's possible that you can grow in God and never deal with the issues of your heart. Number four, why is that? Because you've got to recognize that spiritual fervor isn't a substitute 
for emotional health. Abram wasn't healthy emotionally. He had insecurities. He was insecure about his wife. He was insecure about his position. He didn't know who he was. God said, you're going to be a father of a great nation. But you see, that was just words to him. It never penetrated his heart. And how many of us come to church week after week and we hear sermons and it never really penetrates our heart? He still walked in his insecurities. Abram just assumed that because he is spiritual, because he's called, that he's emotionally healthy. You see, I'm convinced that emotional health is a great thing in the church that we don't deal with often. But you could be spiritually progressing with God and emotionally unhealthy. You've got to recognize number five. Listen, you've got to recognize, and I'm almost done, that the response isn't the problem. It's much deeper than that. So hold on. Abram, and then Abraham, he lied, did he not? A great man lied. So his response was lying. And I know instantly we want to raise our hands and say, if he's a man of God, he shouldn't be lying. Lying's bad. I agree, you shouldn't lie. But that's, that's not the truth of the story. That is not what the story is trying to convey. This is, what, this is not the narrative of the story. Lying is not the issue. That's not the problem. It's much deeper than that. What was the issue in Abram or Abraham's life? Lying was the response, but the issue was fear. He was dealing with fear, and because he had the emotion of fear, he responded in lying. And ladies and gentlemen, let me tell you something. When we respond in ways that we should not respond, that's not the issue. There is a deeper issue in us, and that's why we respond. The reason that Abram responded was because he was fearful and he was living in fear. You see that in the narrative. He is so fearful that he lied and said, Listen, Sarah, just lie to them and say that you're my sister. He did it out of insecurity. It was rooted in fear. And because of that, he lied. And that is an example to you and I, my friends, that when we allow our insecurities to get the best of us, we respond in ways that will hurt people. We respond in ways that will hurt people. Now, can I just stop and preach now, I want all the women in this building to shout with me because I want to know what woman would lie twice and agree with this man that she's going to be somebody's sister. Because how many women in here would raise your hand and say, that would never happen on my watch. I would go ahead and kill him before Pharaoh ever got to him. What woman, what woman would agree to do it twice? But here she agrees two times to lie and agree with Abram. Do you know why? Because when we operate in insecurity, insecurity can become so strong and so convincing that it can get people on board with us. That is why churches have wound licking fest. We sit around in groups and lick our wounds 
because the pastor didn't shake our hand and our insecurity is so deep, we get everybody around us to lick our wounds too and we become convincing. You see what I'm saying? It's easy. Vultures usually go and eat dead things. It's easy to get a bunch of vultures around you. When you're dealing with dead things. Number six. I know this is a hard word, okay? But I just want you to stay with me. Number six, you've got to recognize in order for you to progress in God and not make the same mistakes over, you've got to recognize that there's a difference between management and deliverance. Management and deliverance. In other words, sometimes we're not delivered. I know we preach it. Come down here, let me lay hands on you, and you're going to get delivered. But we come to the same altar three weeks later dealing with the same problem. So either somebody needs to be truthful. What's the issue? Can God deliver you? Yes. Is there cases in Scripture where God's sovereignty delivered somebody? Yes. But you've got to understand that there's a difference between management and deliverance. In other words, you've got to learn to manage the things in your life until the deliverance comes. And if you don't manage the things in your life, you will hurt a lot of people before you get delivered. And you've got to learn to manage the things appropriately in your life. And how do I manage the stuff in my life? It's called self-awareness. Can somebody help this preacher preach? Maybe God won't deliver you from that situation. But I promise you, if you're open and honest before God, He will give you the power to manage it according to the Scriptures. He will give grace for your weakness. The Apostle Paul said, I've cried out to the Lord for the thorn in my flesh. God never delivered him. But God said, I'll give you grace. God will give you grace to manage the things in your life that needs to be managed if you're not delivered. And if we don't manage things, you will destroy your life and other people's lives on your way to deliverance. And then when you get redeemed, you'll have regrets. That's why it's important that we manage our life. You can hurt people on your way to healing. You can hurt yourself on the way to deliverance if we don't manage ourself. Number seven. Last one. You've got to recognize that when God does redeem your mistakes, you will leave with more than you came with. Somebody should help me right there. Because you see what happened? You see what happened? Abram, he got messed up. Did he not? He lied. And then when Pharaoh found out, he said, Dude, why didn't you just tell me the truth? Go ahead and take your wife. Go ahead and take your wife. Leave. And as a matter of fact, when you leave, go ahead and take everything I gave you. 
Take all the cattle, take all the donkeys, take all the servants. Go ahead and take it all with you. Because you know what God did in this story? God redeemed Abram. God said, in spite of your insecurities, in spite of your lying, in spite of your fear, I'm going to put my hand on your mistake. I'm going to redeem your mistake. And when you leave, you're going to leave with much more than you ever came into this thing. Woo! And I want to let you know that you may think that your mistake is final. You may think that your mistake is detrimental. But when God puts his hand on it, I said when God puts his hand on it, you will leave with more than you ever came with. Don't you ever let the devil tell you that your mistake is detrimental. That there's no way to recover. Because I'm letting you know that if, if this man of God could recover, if the father of a great nation could recover, if this man who had insecurities, this man who wrestled with fear, this man who wrestled with obstacles, if God put his hand on his mistake, he could put a hand on your mistake and bring you out better than you ever, ever thought about coming out with. Hallelujah! Is there anybody in the building say, thank God, he can put his hand on my mistake and it can be recovered. Come on, somebody stand to your feet and give God a shout of praise that he's worthy. Hallelujah. Come on, church. Quit patty caking. Quit acting like you're on a respirator. Put your hands together. Lift up a voice to God that he's able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that we ask or think. Woo! I said, hallelujah. I'm so glad we serve a God that doesn't hold our mistakes against us, but puts his hand on it in the end. Hallelujah. I don't know about you, but the devil has tried to torment some of your minds and tell you that it's over, that you should give up. It's not worth going forth anymore. But I tell you, the devil is a liar. His hand is bigger than the devil's hand. He can put his hand on your mistake. And... Hallelujah. That's the type of God we serve. That's why God said to Moses, he said to Moses, he said, I want you to gather the people together. And I want you to, I want you to eat the lamb. I want you to have a Passover. I want you to take the blood and I want you to put it on the lintel of the doorpost because he said tonight the death angel is going to walk through Egypt. He said, but if the blood is on the lintel of the doorpost, the death angel will pass over. That's not what I'm shouting about. Thank God for the blood. Thank God it's delivered us from the death angel. But that's not the end of the story because the Bible says that when they left Egypt, they took the spoils of the Egyptians with them. They took everything the Egyptians had and they left the land of Egypt rich. They left the land of Egypt healthy because God says no matter what you find yourself in, I got enough power to transfer the wealth of the Egyptians unto you. I got the power to put my hand on your mistake. When you leave, you're going to have much more than you ever thought you could ever have. Hallelujah. 
Hallelujah. How many receives the word today? Hallelujah. Uh, we got about 10 minutes. I want the worship team to run up here, and I want every person.